Today's reading comes from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into the, into the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. So I've chosen today's psalm, Psalm 19. It's one that I've been familiar with for a number of years, and it's a bit of a favorite of mine. And the big thing we're going to see today is that the speaking creator brings about a response. Um, So as we begin, I just want to share just five kind of takeaways, and then we're going to pray about uh, our time together. So here we go. Here are five things. The psalm was written by King David about a thousand years ago. uh, Sorry, a thousand years before Jesus. So 3,000 years ago. Um, The law, and just let this sit with you as we read through. The law that the song refers to is the first five books of the Bible only. Okay, so just let that sit tight with you and, and think, okay, so David's really only talking about Genesis, Exodus, Um, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, Actually, what we'll see is it it applies to all of Scripture, but for when David was writing this, just those first five books. Um, There's lots of ideas in this psalm that are similar to Psalm 119. You might be sat there, those of you who know Psalm 119, and grateful that I didn't choose to have that read before we then had a a talk on that. We'd we'd be here until about 2 o'clock, I suspect. And then finally, the ideas within this psalm crop up elsewhere in the Bible, and I want to share some of that with you today as well. Well, let's pray as we get started. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can together gather around your word. Please help us now to pay attention to what it says, and also help me as I try to explain the many delights herein. Amen. 
Well, our first point this morning is our longest point, and then they get progressively shorter as we go through. And the first point this morning is uh, creation communicates, but who hears? And the psalm zooms us in at the beginning just on one aspect of the creation, and that is the sky or the heavens. Wherever you go on the earth or on the seas, you will see the the sky. You'd see the night sky, Um, day or night. It's there, isn't it? And here we have revealed in this psalm a little bit of God's purpose of the skies and the heavens. First notice, please, that creation communicates. We'll have the verses up behind me. But in every minute of every day, the skies, they communicate and they say, God Almighty is glorious. Now, glorious and glory, they're um, they're Bible words. They're not everyday kind of words, are they? And so when I read the Bible and I see those words, I think to myself that 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 means famous or it means a big deal or it means worthy of honor. So verse 1 is like it says this, The heavens seriously say that God is to be admired. Carries on. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Proclaim or announce means there's no... I'm sorry, I just didn't didn't catch what you said there. There's no moment like that, is there, if we're proclaiming, if it's proclaimed to us. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Do you know, without the night skies... Um, just the very nature of, of, of humanity, really, our selfishness, we would have known nothing of our wider place in the universe. I'm sure we would have thought we were it uh, without, of course, technological advancements. But creation communicates in the night skies that God Almighty is to be admired and honored as we see those incredible strings of galaxies hanging in the night sky. So we see that the skies communicate that God is glorious, but who hears? Well, verses 3 and 4 point us to all people groups of the world. Every person on earth has, or they will have had, the slightest glimpse of the heavens and the skies, which say God is glorious. So who hears? Well, everybody. To hammer the point home... We actually have it repeated in a similar way again in verses uh, 4 to 6. And this time it's the sun that is the communicator. It'll be up on the board just behind me. But you see the sun, nothing and no one can escape its scorching heat. The ice melts, the rains dry, even the shade warms up, doesn't it? Nothing escapes. And so, as create, and so as creation communicates, everybody hears. So what does that look like in the lives of you and me? Well, a few thoughts for us. First of all, the sun, the moon, the skies, the stars, they serve as a reminder to the believer that God is to be honored. And being quite frank... The Christian believer doesn't honor God when we complain about the weather. You see, it's his creation, it's his sky, it's his blazing sun, his good purposes with his weather and not mine. 
Certainly we can have some disappointment, but to complain, I don't think so. Because God is big, and I am small. Second thought, as you read through the Bible as a whole, look out for the way that God uses the heavens. And actually, how Jesus refers to it in the Gospels, it just keeps popping up again and again as a way of communication. And I'm going to share with you just one example this morning. In Matthew's biography uh, of Jesus, he records some of his teaching. Jesus is speaking about how his followers will be those who love their enemies. And Jesus says this, quote, You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes the sun to shine on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. End quote. Now, they're seriously challenging words to the believer, aren't they? But in so obeying them, the believer is like their heavenly father. It's like the child who has the character of their parent, you see. Even to those who we might think of as evil or unjust, God the Father is still kind enough, he's still gracious enough to provide rain and sunshine for them so that they can function and live in this world, his world. In Luke's gospel, in his biography on Jesus, it's striking that just as Jesus is being nailed to the cross, being murdered, he prays these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Jesus is no hypocrite, is he? And actually, it's one of the reasons that I follow him. He says he will do what he will do, and and he does. Back to Psalm 19. Uh, Final thought on these first few verses. Regarding the person who's not yet a believer, and there may well be some of you, as I stare into the camera, uh, and into your living rooms at home, there may well be some of you at home who've been watching from a distance for some time, Um, Perhaps you're interested and curious about Christian things. There may well be some here. I really do hope there is. Well, when running with a friend of mine recently, uh, we were enjoying the early evening colors of the skies in the evening. um, And in my heart, you know, these words came to mind. The heavens declare the glory of God. And I shared it uh, just as a passing thing as we were going along and hoping for a little bit of a conversation starter. There was an awkward silence, or perhaps we were just both catching our breath, I'm not sure which. Um, And I filled in with a throwaway line about how it's such a great way, isn't it, to communicate your existence. Well, my friend offered some other suggestions about the early evening sky, but he did acknowledge its beauty. Now, actually, it shouldn't have been a surprise to me, because, you know, sharing our faith with others, it takes time. And it's full of disappointments along the way and hardships, uh, which is why we must pray. Inside, I hope perhaps each time he sees a beautiful sky, he recalls that God's glorious. I'm optimistically hopeful about that. But equally, the Bible puts me straight. 
And what I want to do is just take us a thousand years forward from Psalm 19 to a letter written to some of the first Christians in Rome. And I just want us to look at something that was written to those Christians there that will help us really understand why it is when we have that conversation with somebody who's not yet a believer about how beautiful something is or you know, how it, it, it makes us you know, praise our creator God, that they won't have quite the same response that we have. So let me just read to us something from uh, Romans chapter 1. It says this, The wrath of God's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. We skip on a few verses. Um, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, the point is this. God has made it plain in creation to understand that he is eternally powerful and we are not. And secondly, that he is God and therefore people are not. Third thing, people, instead of being servants to the creator God as master, they actually became servants of something that they chose and actually that we choose um, themselves from creation. That is the danger um, that we all face. We want to serve something that's created. I don't necessarily mean a, a physical thing, but perhaps an abstract idea, and I'll say a bit more about that in a moment or two. You see, this was true in the time of the psalm being written, It's true in the time of this letter from 2,000 years ago, and it's still true for us today. God's full of wrath or anger because of the suppression of the truth that God is to be served and worshipped. We inherently don't, and instead we choose to ignore him. So that's the end of our first point, which was the creation communicates, but who will hear? Now, just before I introduce our second point this morning, I just want us to see how God's described in verses 7 to 11 compared to the first six verses. And and bear with me here as I do this, because the next thing I'm about to say might sound a bit silly. In verses 1 to 6, God is called God. But in verses 7 to 11, he is called Lord in capital letters. Now, as we know, names have meaning. Uh, This shift is from God, the maker of all, the creator, to Lord or Yahweh. And actually that is his name as the covenant or the contract, the promise-keeping God of his people who has spoken to them specifically. And actually this next part describes the Lord's words, describe what he is saying to them. So here we go. Here's our second point. The Lord commands and his people wholly or completely benefit. The Lord commands and his people completely benefit. 
The words in this psalm that we're about to pick through, they are command words. Um, I've been familiar with this psalm. It must be more than 20 years. And I always loved, you know, the Lord of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. I latched on to reviving the soul. I latched on to the benefits to me. I didn't really pay too much attention to the tricky words that come before. Uh, You may be... um, uh, what, what are they called, a lexiconographer or something? You may be very good with your words. Um, and, and, you know, you just know what they mean straight away. I, I'm not one of those people. So the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, precepts, commands, ordinances. As I've got this ready, I've discovered that um, ordinances is nothing to do with any military equipment or to do with mapping, even. They're actually authority and command words. Hence my second point being, the Lord commands and his people wholly benefit. Now, I was slightly loath to go through this next section piece by piece. I thought it might not be quite as engaging for us, perhaps. But the more I looked at these verses, the more I thought... Actually, they can only lift our souls. So, as we go through these five verses, they show us two things. The first thing is, they show us the characteristics of God's revelation, that is the Bible. The second thing they show us is the effects upon the believer. So, draw a deep breath. Settle to the back of your seat, sit up straight, here we go. Um, Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. So God's revealed will, this is the characteristic, is perfect. Who else's will is perfect? I don't think there's anybody's. And the effect is God's will revives the soul of the believer. Do you know, I don't know any other law over us that offers to revive the soul I think they're often, we often feel they're burdensome, don't we, and an inconvenience. Verse 7 continues, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Now, a statute means a contract, or Old Testament language, a covenant declaration, a contract. So, in any day and age, taking people at their word is hard, but God's word is trustworthy, and the effect is It makes the simple wise. Verse 8. The characteristic is the precepts of the Lord are right. And that means the precise authority with which the Lord addresses us. That is what is right. There's no wriggle room here. There's no ability to challenge um, those of you who have had children or you, know, you still have small children at home, you'll be familiar with the challenge to the parents' authority. Perhaps they still do it when they grow up. I don't know. You can let me know afterwards. But the challenge to the parents' authority again and again. But here we see, as God addresses us, he is right. And do you know the effect on the heart? It's not burdensome at all. It gives joy to the heart. Second part of verse 8 says, the commands of the Lord are radiant. And that word command, it just means that precise authority. You see, they shine forth and the effect, they give light to the eyes. His instructions to his people, they actually show us the world we're looking at. If you've ever read the Bible 
for a period of time and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, I hope that you've had that experience yourself. It just helps you understand what's going on in the world around us. It helps us relate. It helps us get on. Verse 9. The characteristic is the fear of the Lord is pure. Now that word fear can have sort of a negative connotation, but here it's, it's a reverence that emphasizes the human response prompted by the word. So the fear of the Lord is pure, and the effect of having that reverence is eternal. It endures forever. Now verses 9, 10, and 11, the effects bit, they drop off completely. And instead, we see some statements about how awesome and how delightfully good God's word is. Verse 9 continues, the characteristic of God's word is, the ordinances of the Lord are sure. Now an ordinance, I've discovered this week, they are the judicial decisions, the, the guilty, not guilty, the verdict, the judicial decisions that he has recorded about human situations. So for David, as he was writing this psalm, he's got those first five books of the Bible in front of him, and he's reading through that, and he's seeing the ordinances of the Lord, God's decisions about mankind and those kind of things. And he says that they are sure, that they're altogether righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold sweeter than honey, honey from the comb. By them your servant is warmed. In keeping them there's great reward. God's word is so good. It's no wonder that David wrote a psalm about it. In verse 11, we have this little line. If you just have a look over my shoulder, or for those of you at home watching, I don't know, is it, is it this side or is it, is it Alistair's nodding at me, it's, it's to my right to my right and for those of you at home I'm trapped in a little box aren't I but sorry everybody just having a little bit of fun here um there I can't reach out my box can I but anyway verse 11 back to it I promised my wife I wouldn't misbehave um in verse 11 we have this little line it says this by them your servants warned and in keeping them there is great reward You see, the contract keeping God's relationship with his people is one of servant and master. It might sound a little draconian to us, perhaps a little Victorian in this day and age, perhaps, but it really it isn't. Let me explain. We all serve something or someone. See, the motive of our heart is captivated either by the Lord or by some other affection for something created, like we saw in the Romans 1 a few minutes ago. So here are some examples of the kind of things that might captivate our heart. And in and of themselves, as I share them with you, you'll see that they're not bad things in and of themselves, but it's when they become the master to us and we become the servant serving them. So here's the first one, some of the examples I thought of. Love of a spouse love of self, a love of being right, a love of serving one's own interests or perhaps one's own hobbies, serving one's bodies, serving one's stomach, pursuing the next eating out experience or this chef or that chef or, you know, whatever it be, one's career, 
one's retirement. Whatever it is, we all serve. We are servants to either the Lord or something that we've latched onto, that's created. Well, how do we know what we serve? Well, actually, God's word shines the spotlight for us to know this. David says this, By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. And the reward here is all that this world tries to offer us. But actually, from God, it is assurance. It is certainty. It is character growth. Let me just share these words of Jesus when he talks about, perhaps this is all new to you. Perhaps, you know, as I'm talking, you think, don't really know about this. Tell me more. Um, So Jesus, he talks of turning from our own ways and instead choosing what to, you know, choosing what we serve, instead choosing to serve him, to be in with him. This is what he says. Quote, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you are new to Christian things, or perhaps you've been coming to St. Mary's for years and years, but the pennies never dropped, or your curiosity today is risen inside of you, do you see that having Jesus as boss of your soul is actually something that you've been longing for? He's the very best master to serve. In fact, he's the only one who he shows you the reward and he also shows you the cost of following him. In every other offer in this life of what to serve, it only shows you the immediate reward. And I'll just give you a for example. It's unscripted, so bear with me. If, if I were to pursue my career as the big thing, and I happen to be a teacher... If I was a primary school teacher, if I was to think, yes, career is the way to go, that must be the thing that I will look for my satisfaction, that I will get my, um, it's called self-actualization, is it my sense of being and completeness and Bible word rest. If I pursue that, then I will spend more time there than I will with my wife and my children, than I will with my church family, than I will with my extended family, all at the expense of all of those things. And what will it reward me with? Possibly just a mental breakdown. If I was to go higher up on the ladder, perhaps more money for retirement. There was a time, and I don't know if this is still the case, but there was a time that for a head teacher, a secondary school head teacher, the average life expectancy post-retirement was five years before they had a heart attack. Now, medicines have improved. But I hope I can show you there that the appeal of career, the appeal of pursuing that, it looks like I'm the master and I'm choosing this as my destiny, but actually it's the other way around. I'm serving that. That is my master. And there's no showing to me of the cost of this. I don't realize that I'm not investing in my wife and in my children. And as the, as the time goes on, actually... Marriage becomes a shipwreck. I was a terrible father to my children. And so on and so on. The cost isn't there. And the reward actually won't satisfy. I hope I've sort of... I've talked that through as if... 
you, it's something for you to think about because I don't see many primary school teachers out there, gratefully, in one sense. Love, the, love teachers as I do. Oh dear, it's when I went unscripted. Let's come back. With Jesus, what he does is he shows and he offers the reward, but he also shows the cost, the consequence. He does it up front. He says, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, talk about cost. It doesn't get any tougher. But the reward, I mean, we've just gone through, haven't we? We've just seen that what a master, what commands do for us, what the effect is upon us. Sweeter than honey. His way's best. So in our second point, we've seen that the Lord commands and his people completely or wholly benefit. And in a moment, we'll move to our third point. The psalm goes like this. The first six verses, we finish with this searching, searing, intense heat from the sun. Nothing can hide from the glorious God. Our second point shows us how good his commands are. How beneficial they are to us. And we might be sat there and thinking, I'm on board, I like this. I will do what God says to do. I will do these works. And actually, as a youngster, as I first came across these verses, I thought, I must read my Bible more. I must do what it says more. Because I see all the effects and the benefits. Well, our third point is this, the humble response. Because chasing after and trying to get those benefits ourselves is not going to work for us. What we need is the humble response, our third point. See, the Lord's word and God's creation actually create only one response in David as he writes the psalm. This is what he says. Who can discern his errors? Because that's what God's word does. It shows us our errors. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, David's encounter with creation and the Lord's word, they just make him realize how full of error he is by comparison He knows that he has faults, and he doesn't even know what some of those faults are, but he knows there are faults. David sees and knows how good keeping his Lord's word is, but he doesn't try to suddenly start working and do them. Instead, he throws himself down in prayer, one imagines. We read here, he seeks help because he is helpless. Now, he's a leader. He's a he's famous king. He wrote this song 3,000 years ago. We still talk about it today. So actually, in the world's eyes, he must be someone significant. But notice, he doesn't try and clean himself up. He doesn't try and act better to improve and to fit in. He's not like the couple who are courting one another. And so, slightly stereotypically, they take an interest in the other person's like. So here's my stereotypical example. She might take an interest in his football team. He might take an interest in her music. 
so that they both have something in common that they can chat to and, and, and relate about, some common ground. You see, they shift and they change to get on with one another. It is not like that here. The Lord is perfect. He is just. We are imperfect. So much so that we're not actually aware of all of our imperfection. We're unjust. How can we keep our side of the contract, of the covenant with the Lord? Well, we don't have to. Forgive my hidden faults, says David, because I can't undo them. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me because I am powerless over them. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. See, the great news of the Lord that we see here is that it is the Lord who takes us on and welcomes us. Christians are forgiven people. Forgiven people. Others may look in who are not yet believers and they they see rules to keep. Or they see people trying to do good But the truth is, first and foremost, we're forgiven people. That's a wonderful thing. And we always will be forgiven if we keep trusting in the Lord. David calls the Lord his rock, his stable, his unbreakable place. He also calls him his redeemer. Now, to redeem something is to buy it back. David knows... And a great many of us here know the very joy of being brought back by the Lord and being welcomed into his family. Now, what did God spend to bring us back, to redeem his people? He's God. Everything is already his. Well, he brought us back, us having run away, by swapping the perfect Jesus for us, the imperfect, the fault-filled self-serving wretch look if you don't know what i'm talking about if this is all a mystery to you please please will you chat to the friend who brought you today chat to myself chat to chris at the end of the service look if you're watching online um, we have a christianity explored course coming up in september but you might be sat there at home today thinking i do want to know more so if you were to email the office, and it's info at stmarysbasingstoke.org.uk, pause the video, get a pen, I'll say it again. If you were to, it's info at stmarysbasingstoke.org.uk. If you were to just email in and just say three words, tell me more, then somebody who picks up those emails, who knows the Lord, would be more than happy to reply to you and get to know you so that you can know Um, this wonderful master, the Lord Jesus. As we finish, let's have a moment's quiet and then I'll pray. Oh Lord, set your word deep within us. Help us see Help us call out to you as our only rock and as our redeemer. That we may know that you are glorious and that we may be your servants. Amen.